Our next scripture is found in your hymnal. Just pick up your hymnal and go to page 473. Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into life. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into love. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, in the waters of baptism, you give us birth. And at your table, you nourish us with heavenly food. In your goodness and mercy, lead us along safe paths, beyond the terrors of evil and death, to the house of the Lord, where we may rest securely in you forever. Amen. I'd like you to raise your hand today people of God, if you are afraid of quicksand. Wonderful. It's a lot of us, surprisingly. Um, Anybody willing to raise their hand and admit that they grew up in the 1960s, that they feel like their childhood is around there? Okay, good. Congratulations. You grew up in the pinnacle of the era of quicksand. Dan Angbar of WMYC's Radiolab podcast did a little study using cinema as a metric discovered that the number of movies involving quicksand went from about 1 in 1,000 in the 1930s to 1 in 500 in the 40s, 1 in 200 in the 50s, and then came the age of Aquarius, where 1 in every 35 movies released in the 1960s involved quicksand. Nearly 3% of all movies. And it wasn't just the number. People got really serious about their quicksand. You may have seen Lawrence of Arabia, with Peter O'Toole pushing through the dust storm trying to save his companion from being sucked under the quicksand. And it won seven Oscars. Now quicksand's life was quickly sucked away. But in hindsight, we have to ask ourselves, 
What was it about that particular image at that particular time that proved so effective, that rang so true in our hearts that, that it echoed something of our actual existence? Despite the, let me make this really clear, wild improbability that any human anywhere on the face of the planet will ever encounter quicksand, let alone die from it. Engbar suggests that quicksand was a stand-in for our cultural fear of unknown places, unknown fears. As we stared at the images of Vietnam, which was often referred to as quicksand or a quagmire, we stood in fear of the Soviet Union. We even landed on the moon, despite the adamancy of a physicist that the moon was likely filled with quicksand that would swallow up the lunar module upon landing. I'm not making this up. Now, in our scriptures today, we see a few other images that ring true in different ways. In the Matthew parable that Steve read for us today, we have this lamp that's pictured on your bulletin. It's an oil lamp. A very simple, well-known object during its time. And Jesus uses, as he does in so many stories, this metaphor to remind us to keep awake. Matter of fact, it's a string of parables there at the end of Matthew before the crucifixion, where Jesus says, You've got to keep awake because I'm coming back soon. And like this lamp being filled with oil, you don't want to be found sleeping and not ready. And then we heard the 23rd Psalm, the one you hear at almost every funeral The Lord is my shepherd. We're comforted by those images comforted by that image. We're comforted by the one that comes in the second half of the psalm they don't pay as much attention to. That God is this gracious gracious host that sets up a banquet even before our enemies threatening us. Keeping us safe. Filling our stomachs. This God is hospitable. A good host. Embracing us even warmly with oil. God, it says, is the filler of cups that overflow. This is good news. Amen? And I love these images. Except, few of us here have ever used an oil lamp. Most of us have not met a real shepherd. Most of us have not eaten meals at tables where we were afraid that outside the door there were enemies that were likely to attack us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go over to my friends' homes for dinners, they usually don't anoint me with oil, or maybe I'm unusual. And instead of feeling the abundance of God coming to our souls when our cup overflows, for a lot of people who have never heard this psalm for the first time, who haven't grown up in church, the image that usually comes up is this great fear. This fear that, oh my gosh, my kitchen table is getting wet from all this overflowing stuff, or my grandmother's tablecloth is now soaked because this person who's pouring stuff out doesn't know when to stop. Sally McFaig suggests that the best metaphors always give a shock and a shock of recognition. You see, for us modern audiences who are past the agrarian culture of these metaphors, or even past the industrialization metaphors of the past couple centuries, we're now living into this new third wave, this service world that's being written about. And biblical metaphors can be a stretch. 
For some, they're barely recognizable. And for others, it's more of a shock of, what are you talking about? Now, God as shepherd might work for you, because many of us here have grown up hearing about that shepherd and having pastors over and over again help us understand what that feels like, what it's like to live out with the shepherd, how it's like to feel safe. But for most of the world, they have no idea what we're talking about. My children, they don't even know what a landline phone is, let alone a shepherd. Now, in church, we usually think of us clergy as these folks that we've sent away to graduate school to understand all the biblical metaphors so that we can come back and and send you a good word from the Scripture. And we pray that we do that. But sometimes, even for us, this is a stretch. Sometimes, like in the Matthew text, I look at the Bible and I say, Oh boy, I need to come to church on Sunday and help everybody understand ancient Near Eastern marital customs, the economy of oil, and help you feel that scarcity and try to understand why someone would lock the door to a wedding. But that'll be easy in 20 minutes or less. And as we speak, there's even a growing movement of scholars, feminist scholars, liberation scholars, Latinx scholars, who rightly note that Our images of God that we use in church tend to be very masculine heavy, transcendent and detached. God is the king. Even God as shepherd is usually a male image. For 400 years, the Syriac Christians used the grammatical feminine when speaking of the Holy Spirit. But we don't. So there's a way in which some of this is even baked in to the way we've done church for centuries. And I thoroughly believe that if our metaphors are broken, our souls lose touch with God. It's a whole lot of neuroscience that I cut out of this sermon. There's always some neuroscience. But let me promise you, our brains are wired for images. As a matter of fact, a lot of scholars believe that we create verbal metaphors to help us construct the reality outside of ourselves. Ever think about creativity flowing out of you, for example? or something feeling bitter. These are all tactile realities that we we simply create words for. God is beyond our words. We all know this deep inside, but we also know that without our words, we can't even begin to grasp the majesty of the Holy One. We are in this season of growing in spiritual abundance. And we know from our congregational assessment tool, the, the CAT, that the number one thing that our church is called to grow into is our personal spiritual vitality. That is a sense that each of us have a faith that is integrated into our worldview, that affects our sense of identity, that affects every decision we make, every dollar we spend, every hour that we decide to do something with, that our faith isn't episodic or peripheral, that it's not a Sunday thing or something I, I throw money at, but my faith actually affects all of me. And our images, our metaphors, have a lot to do with that. Now, if the bad news is that many of our metaphors are broken, the good news is that God is still speaking. God is not silenced just with the closing of a Bible. To recover our faith in the 21st century, each of us has to learn the skill of theological observation. Or to put that plainly, the task of walking around with our cups, 
ready to be filled. Expecting to be filled up. We have to believe that we can look around the world, not just on Sundays, but on Wednesdays and Monday through Friday, that we can look around and see the metaphors that deeply describe who God is. Or as Patty Ann Rogers suggests, everything I see of the heavens, I know by the earth. Can you imagine feeling that every day? As you walk out of your car into the office, as you go into your home, even as you spend time with friends and family, that you have the lenses to be looking out for God? What are your interactions that you have with other people? What are the objects, these events in your life that are so holy, that are so infused with the divine that you can't help but notice God in it? These metaphors are speaking to us if we're there to hear them. Some churches do a better job of helping you see them than others. I don't know how many of us have been to uh, churches, particularly non-denominational ones, but they have no qualms of going into the metaphors of our world. I can't tell you how many times I've been to churches that have given me a systematic breakdown of how Jesus is a quarterback. And then we get all the positions kind of lined up and who's who and who's the receiver. A few years ago, you might have been listening to the radio. You might have heard Carrie Underwood remind you or ask God, Jesus Take the wheel. These are not ridiculous, a little bit. But they're real, right? These are images from our real lives that actually mean something to us. Remember, a good metaphor is a shock and a shock of recognition. We understand what they're talking about with Jesus as a quarterback. We don't think that all of a sudden Jesus is behind us, not doing anything, but that Jesus is leading the team forward. Or if Jesus is driving the car usually sober, right? These images have an understanding that we can grasp onto and apply into our lives. Now, I haven't talked too much about the Bible yet, but the good news is we don't have to throw that out either. We just have to look for parts that we haven't been paying as much attention to. Lauren Winner wrote a book called Wearing God, and she explores metaphors for God that are already in the Bible that we've either forgotten or we've wildly underemphasized because we've been a church that's focused on declaring God as a man of some form or another. And she walks us through God as, and I want you to try these on. Feel how your body feels when I say these words. Are you ready? God as clothing. God as a flame. God as a mother giving birth. God as a friend. You may have noticed how your body felt. Usually it's a little awkward when we try on these new images. But there's something about each of those that says something real. Enough realness about God that the biblical writers thought it was important to put them in there. In an interview with a magazine, the 
author of that book wrote, it seems to me that part of what the Bible is suggesting to us is that we can look around our everyday lives and say, here, I am looking out my window at this magnolia tree. That's not just a beautiful tree. It's not just something that was created by God. It's actually telling me something about who God is because God describes God's self as a tree in Hosea. She continues, We have this powerful invitation from Scripture that the good things God created and put in our world, that please us and delight us. Those things don't just please us and delight us. They actually contain hints about who God is and what our relationship with God can be like. My friends, we've come to worship today to be filled up. And the question for you is, what kind of God do you need in order to be filled up? If God is king, isn't really doing it for you. God is spirit. You think of God as the clothes, the garments you wear that know both the good parts of your body and the parts you don't like so much, but love you anyway and stick with you. What kind of God do you need to fill you up in this season of life? We're going to listen briefly to a song. That song is called Kosi Rivaya. Kosi Rivaya is the Hebrew for the words from that 23rd Psalm. My cup overflows. I want you to just think briefly. What do I need from God? What can I imagine my God to be that I might be filled up for the journey ahead of me?
enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May you find God in the places that God has sent you and breathe.